everyone. Welcome to Cult Cinema Catacombs to our official 20th movie. Um, we're not counting uh, Spider Baby as one of the initial 20 because that was just a, a just a, a fun tribute to Sid Haig and his cinema. Yeah, fun. <laughs> but um, for our 20th movie, we picked a doozy. Hey, uh, I guess. <laughs> um, so in 1989... A group of people thought it would be an interesting idea to make a sequel to the 1920 classic silent film, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Um, in, in this sequel, it is um, uh, uh, it's basically a doctor who turns out to be the granddaughter of the original Dr. Caligari and her experiments that she does on her patients. And the movie is simply called Dr. Caligari. Now, Andy has asked me many times, why? <laughs> in, the, in the last few days about why? this one. Why does this, why is this a thing? Why is this, why does this exist? How did they make it? And why did they decide to do it? And how I stumbled upon this was that there was an article online, actually, and the the headline of the article said the forgotten sister film to the Rocky Horror Picture Show, and I was like, wait, there was another sequel besides Shock Treatment, and so I clicked on it. And when they said sister movie, they're talking about in terms of people going to midnight showings of it, thematically, thematically, like, culturally, yeah. yes. Apparently, for a long while. During the the during 1989 into the mid 90s, Doctor this movie Doctor Caligari apparently was the room of its time. Really? And, yeah, and I don't remember ever hearing of this batshit thing. And, and and in 1990, this is when I started actually start to branch out into midnight cinema with Rocky Horror and everything else. And I've never heard of this or seen it advertised in the bay in the san francisco bay area for unless i wasn't in the know of like the really avant-garde theaters that were maybe showing it at midnight but apparently this thing was huge for a while and then suddenly it fades into extreme obscurity um it was released in limited vhs and betamax format but okay. it's it's known as Dr. Caligari now, but apparently when the film originally debuted, it was called Dr. Caligari 3000. Because That's this is supposed weird. to be set in the... Uh, <clears throat> apparently like set in the year 3000 or something? I have no idea. Um, but Dr. Caligari works at the CIA, which stands for Caligari Insane Asylum. Okay. Um, <laughs> and basically she's dressed in this dominatrix like weird outfit and she has Uma Thurman Pulp Fiction hair. Yeah, she definitely, I mean, <laughs> from what I've seen in the trailer, which I've watched multiple times just to try to understand, I wish that the voiceover, like I was telling you before the show and I mentioned it on the show before, I love an industry trailer where they're mm -hmm. trying to sell the movie to movie theaters and, you know, um, and uh, trades. I love a trade trailer more than anything in the world, yeah. but this one did nothing to explain the actual movie to me. <laughs> it was just like, this movie's fucked up. You should buy it. Yeah. Like, what? No. 
Yeah, and there's really not much information out there because of how lost it was, except for the fact that when the film was released, it actually got good reviews. Um, and I, the Los Angeles Times touted it as one of the kinkiest artifacts ever to come out of Orange County. Um, even Entertainment Tele- E! Entertainment, apparently, uh, they had this uh, special called Attack of the Killer Bees, and they called it one of the best B-movie art house films of all time. And I'm like, I'm looking at all this, and I'm like, why have I never heard of this thing? And so I'm like, okay, is this available to watch someplace? So I type it in, and sure enough, someone has uploaded the Betamax version, not the VHS version. The (laughs) superior version. Yeah, the the superior version. (laughs) The Betamax version of this movie onto YouTube. And I went, holy crap, this film exemplifies everything that we've started this show for bringing the movies that are like really deep in the film vaults that, you know, probably have been forgotten and shining a light on them again. And this film is definitely going to be, I think one of those films. I'm, I'm curious because it, you know, cause the first thing we watched, it's, it's funny that we're watching this at 20, you know, uh, as, as sort of one of our anniversary ones, because the first thing that you forced me to watch uh, Clockwork Orange style was uh, Liquid Sky. You know, that's what began this nightmare. And this one, looks, this one looks weirder than Liquid Sky. Yeah, but is it weirder? My my thing is watching. Now, here's what I want to know. Right. And, mm-hmm. and and this is the whole first part of our show is what do I what do I want? What am I expecting? You know, for me. And it is it looks less. My, my thing is, is it weirder on purpose? Is it yeah. less authentic than Liquid Sky? Because Liquid Sky really went for it. Oh, like, yeah, Liquid Sky know, was Jewish a pure art house with film. With the shrimp yeah. and the UFO, like, watch it. Like, come on, I need to rewatch it. That's what I need to do with Liquid Sky. But, you know, this feels, I hope it doesn't feel, I hope it doesn't come off as, like, overly forced. You know, you know? When, when watching the trailer, do you know what it reminded me of? Do you, do you remember... Uh, in the 90s, that show on MTV, Liquid Television. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, with, yeah. this seemed like one of those, just watching the trailer, it seemed like one of those live action segments that you would have seen on Liquid Television that was maybe a serial on Liquid Television, just with its bizarreness. I, I, with the not only the angular haircuts, but the bizarre, almost like, Tim Burton meets the Forbidden Zone type sets that yeah, is yeah. B- BDSM ish, yeah. And so I'm like, I mean, I'm going. Well, I don't. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking. Well, maybe is it from that? And I'm going. No, I I watched. I remember watching yeah. every single episode of Liquid Television. I don't remember this shit at all. So yeah, I'm wondering if if this is going to be one of those movies that's just trying too hard, or if it really does have. A brain behind it. Uh, it doesn't even have to have a brain behind it if it's genuinely trying to be something, mm-hmm. and not just um, like fan service to get. You know, the reason that the room is as popular as it is is because as jacked up a movie as it is, right? Mm-hmm. It's authentic. Like that was an actual attempt to make a movie. You know, and 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 I ha- the only problem I really have is when it's not an act. You know what I mean? Like when it's 
servicing the idea that that we're going to make a bad movie. Yeah. So I hope that's not you know the Rocky Horror obviously is not that they they really were going for a movie. You know, that's all of the movies we've watched so far have been that. Mm-hmm. I hope that this is that. And I don't think it would get to the point where it is if it wasn't, you know. Yeah. Well, in, in other words, you hope that the the purpose of it is organic and not manufactured. Yeah. That's a good that, – thank you, Producer Chris. That, basically, a, you're hoping point. that this is not like how shock treatment was, where it was trying to manufacture and recreate the experience of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. It's trying to build on – yeah. yeah. I, I, I hope it's a genuine – I hope there's a genuine thing going on. Well, there's one element that's involved with this that may help it sway into that thing. Okay. Um, It's because who wrote the screenplay for this? Uh, The screenplay is written by Jerry Stahl. Really? Yes, yes, yes. And if anybody anybody knows that name, this is the cocained, out-of-his-mind creator of Ralph. I mean, not Ralph, but Alf. <laughs> he might have called him Ralph. Yeah. You never know. Um, and he was the one that the movie Permanent Midnight was yes. based on that Ben Ben Stiller played. Yes. And, I mean, I'm pretty sure that when he wrote this screenplay, he was probably coked out of his oh, mind. So I, much. I mean, I mean, this is the man who not only gave us Alf, he also gave us 30-something, Moonlighting. Um, he wrote a couple of episodes <laughs> of Twin Peaks and Northern Exposure. He wrote the screenplay for Bad Boys and Bad Boys 2. I he's done a lot of stuff and he's also done a lot of cocaine. And well, he's, a, he's a brilliant, prolific writer that was extremely addicted to cocaine. Yeah. And it showed on Alf. I mean, if you ever look at any of the um, behind the scenes footage of Alf, I mean, it's just, Oh my living God. I, mean, or, or to quote, um, where I on um, um, uh, what's that show that uh, we watch on be on Big Mouth? Oh my Jesus and my vagina! That's a lot of cocaine. Also, I, to quote Big Mouth, I just want to do it because I'm doing it on every show I do now. Big dick boy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's just I mean, he's he's it's he's he likes the cocaine so. Yes, I'm, I'm, yes, so that that could lend to it. Um, I feel better now. Now that you reminded me of that, I feel better. And the guy who directed this, uh, his name is uh, St- Stephen Sayadian. I guess that's how you pronounce the last name. Um, he's known basically for doing um, like semi-erotic, surreal um, art films. And um, and the thing is, is is that uh, he's also a print art director. He's worked with people like Brian De Palma and John Carpenter and and everything else. Um, And he also did a lot of the set decorations for the late 80s, early 90s MTV segments with the VJs. So that kind of lends to the look that we're seeing in the trailer also. So I guess that kind of lends into why it has that liquid television look to it. Yeah, because when did this come out? 1989. Yeah, so that would have been dead dead center right when... Okay, yeah, I'm with it. So, I mean, so so that, and especially with Jerry Stahl's involvement with this, I mean, that could lend to uh, the fact that it's going to be coked out. Uh, this also has a, a man who was really known for doing uh, cult films. Uh, in fact, this was his last film appearance. Uh, name is Fox Harris. Uh, 
he starred in movies like Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers, uh, Straight to Hell, uh, Repo Man, Sid and Nancy. Oh, Red Me- Repo Man was so good. Um, I mean, it, it's just like uh, I mean, he, he does, I mean, this was one of his last roles that he did. So he's done a lot of cult films, and unfortunately, he died of lung cancer shortly after filming this movie. Um, so. I, there's there's that element going on with it. Also, the rest of the cast, however, went nowhere. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, everyone else is like, "Who are you now?" You know, in this it had cast. the twice dead effect where nobody <laughs> went anywhere. <laughs> so yeah, it's going to be. In fact, I'm when I look up the, when I'm looking this up. Um, apparently, it is labeled as an avant-garde horror erotic film. Okay. With with Jerry Stahl's cocaine all over it, I'm guessing. So yeah, right. Just that's the reason it hasn't been released more is because it was all tainted with co- the the <laughs> the FBI has every copy because it had to- it had cocaine in the ink that they used to print everything. <laughs> so are we ready to get weird with this thing? Uh, yeah, can we run the trailer? Hell yeah, we'll run the trailer right. in between, definitely. I mean, because the trailer... Because it's a good-ass trailer. Because <laughs> even the trailer... I love that you're sniffing like we ha- like you just took a Yeah, bump. I've got a cold, but we're going to imagine that it's because I'm super <laughs> coked up right now. I love it. I am... I am I am riding the white horse. <laughs> if you want to ride, is that heroin? I don't know. <laughs> that might be the only way to really get into this movie is you have to get a couple of bumps going on. So yeah, right. Give me a <laughs> midget in the ceiling fan. I gotta get ready for this. <laughs> I'm just over here going over my lines. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we will be right back with. Um, our response to Dr. Caligari. Oh boy, here we go. <laughs> Every so often, there comes a movie so sick, so twisted, so incredibly insane, the critics shout, Oscar calling, Oscar calling. Naughty, naughty, naughty. Unending torment. Meet Dr. Caligari. She's chic. She's hip. She's morally reprehensible. She's evil. She's a flat-out sadist. Sex Nazi. How do I make you feel? My feelings are like filthy prayers. I'm a juice dog. I'm a twitching skee-ball. And you won't let me shiver. Bon appetit. She's the granddaughter of the infamous Dr. Caligari. To her, your brain's an open house. You've got to learn to just say yes. The critics cheered when Dr. Caligari took the midnight movie circuit by storm. Perhaps I should prescribe a sedative for you. This movie screams art. I got an EKG you can dance to. Everybody limbo. The LA Times stamped its approval. Consistently outrageous and imaginative. I call it disgusting. I'm on a radiation vacation soaking up the gammas. Funny thing about desire. If it's not crude, it's not pure. On college campuses, she's the new homecoming queen. She's got style. She's got class. She's got people talking everywhere. Excitement's the essence of life. When it's over, you're dead. She's racy, irreverent, and radical. Dr. Caligari. The twisted passions of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. The all-consuming hunger of eating Raul. And the outrageous excess of pink flamingos. Describe your life in three words or less. She's the surrealistic psychiatrist with the totally camp couch. Dr. Caligari. She's got the cure for midnight madness. Surprise! Oh, 
You're going to savor this. Wow. Um, wow. Wow. What was that? Have you ever noticed how close John Lithgow's speaking voice is to <laughs> Cher's singing voice? <laughs> yes. You know what? You kiss my ass. I'm going to talk about whatever I want <laughs> after watching that. <laughs> Um, wow. I walked out after 20 minutes. I couldn't stop watching it. <laughs> I wanted to continue to watch it. The only reason I stopped, I actually had to stop to run an errand, but I didn't, I was compelled to come back and start watching it again. I, I was. The whole time I was there watching this thing. You were there. Yeah. You, and yeah, that's very telling. That's a very telling way to put it. I mean, I'm 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 watching this thing and thinking to myself, what have I gotten myself into? That's what I'm thinking the whole time is what have I gotten myself into? Because this movie hurt me. Uh. It, what? Explain to me why it hurt you. It hurt me because I really didn't know what the fuck was going on. Um, no. And no. I mean, when I finally figured out the plot, I mean, it, it, it took what forty minutes to get to what was actually going on in this. So, what thing? was? So, in your opinion, what was the plot? In, in your opinion, in my opinion, the plot was that there. It was this. <clears throat> apparently, the plot was not deep enough to bury the spell. Yes. Well, the plot was only... It was a 15-minute plot. It could have yeah. been a 20-minute TV show with I mean, commercials. The, the first the, the first 45, 50 minutes of this movie is sex. Tongue. Let's talk about sex. What makes you like sex? Sex. Yeah, it's while, all hits and... Yeah, yeah. While doing interpretive dancing and, you know, weird... Um, weird poses to backgrounds from Rocco's Modern Life. And then we get to the plot, and we find out that the plot is that the granddaughter of Dr. Caligari from the classic The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari somehow saved his brain and has been experimenting with, I guess you could say it was exchanging consciousnesses with other bodies, so that way she could absorb the brilliance of her grandfather's consciousness into her body and go on to lead a master race of horny geniuses or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, and, and I think I think more to the plot is that her her assistants have found her out and are trying to shut her down. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so <laughs> like, so trying to shut her experiments down. Yeah. And the uh, one of the people who is um, the person who runs the institute that Caligari works at. Um, it's she's the daughter of the person who runs the place, and then the other person that's with her is her husband. Um, right, I I guess, and um, then you got all the patients, like the the one who was into being electrocuted and was a cannibal. Yeah, you got the the cannibal serial killer guy. There were like three patients, I think, total. Because you had the sex maniac, yeah. you had the Van Houten sex maniac, then you had the cannibal 
um, guy that puts pins in his ass so that yeah. when you electrocute him, it, it, it fires them in his ass. Um, and then you had just a couple of kind of background psychiatric patients mm-hmm. that got a little bit of screen time, but not a lot. Yeah. I mean, when I said in the in the first part of this episode that this kind of looked like something I would see on liquid television, I wasn't kidding. This literally was a live-action liquid television animated segment, and it's like th- this was this would have been one of those things that I would have been tricked into going to see with my friends during you know my late high school or early college years at the University Theater in Berkeley, California, and and, and be told, oh, this is supposed to be this great art film, and then I experienced this. Yeah, well, and here's the thing. Like, everybody that was in it thought that they were going to be in a great art film. Yes, they had that whole, they were like, we're making art the whole entire time. And in the meantime, you've got, you know, lines that are delivered like, I look at that face and I'm a slut for love. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I'm like, yeah, that's an acting choice. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, everything was an act. That's the thing is that I looked for, and nobody has transcribed it surprisingly, a script (laughs) for this. Um, But I looked for it. It didn't exist. Um, Everything was a choice. Yeah. Like nothing was nothing was authentic. Nothing was you know. And I'm not saying it was non-authentic in a bad way. It was very authentically an attempt to make an art film. But every, you know, it was like, this is my character. This is the way my character talks for some reason. And like, you know, the speedball, um, uh, tannable serial killer had a very, you know, like, like it was definitely like an over the top choice in the way that that, you know, it was almost like a weird college stage production that they decided to film. Yeah. And I wonder if that's what it was. I really do. You like, because that's really the way it felt. You can definitely, I'm, I'm beginning to think I should have actually put this movie in our Inspired by Cocaine series that we did. Oh my God. Because it was, you could tell that this was inspired by cocaine. I mean, because it was just manic. It was manic, and especially the, the serial killer cannibal, his delivery of his lines, where he seemed like he was trying to break the world's record for fast talking and all of his line delivery. And on top of that, you've got you've you've got the the wall of tongue and um, like the 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 vomiting orb, yeah, thing. Like and, le- yeah, and that I was weird. I mean the, the 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 wall the wall with the giant tongue. I mean the first thing I thought of when I saw that was moisturize me. Yeah, when I saw it, yeah, I was just like oh. you know, the, the the face of Bo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's an acting choice. It was, um, it was, yeah, it was all a choice. And when I say that it had some redeeming qualities, here's what I mean: like it was, it was, you know, it it was 25 feet from being redeemable in the sense that was it. <laughs> No, I feel like it could have been like an actual real conversation about identity and sex. And, you know, I feel like that could have been in there. And I feel like maybe it was in there and it just didn't get in there. No, you know, I I feel like that was the point. And then this movie happened. You know, I kind of saw it creeping around in there. 
just never made it to the surface. I, I will say this. I couldn't look away. Yes. Oh, I could. Oh, you, yeah, you were like, I'm done. Bye. Yeah, bye. <laughs> He's like, I'm done. Bye. Clear, clearly, there's a Star War I need to go watch. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, I we, we made a joke between filming of these segments about how whether or not this film was going to sutter cane us. Um, for those yeah, who, I think it did. Yeah, for, the, for those who know the reference from In the Mouth of Madness. And yeah, because I was just like, I, I don't want to watch this but i have to see where this goes and i the the one thing i will have to say about the movie is is that it was seriously unpredictable i I had absolutely zero idea what direction this thing was going to go into um because just just when you think it couldn't get any weirder it gets weirder yeah i I, like when (laughs) When well, the, like, okay, when the so conscious swapping instance, is happening and the doctor who's in charge of the hospital suddenly gets the nymphoid memories pumped into his head and he turns himself into Mamie Van Doren. I, it's like, what? I was like, what the hell? Well, and, the, and so it's like, the, the I mean, and it is, it's, it's wild, right? It is. If you have ever or yourself or have ever had a friend who takes copious amounts of cocaine and then decides to pitch you story ideas, Mm -hmm. that's what this is. Yeah. For real. There is a scene in this movie where uh, Caligari is trying to uh, give sex therapy to the Van Houten, the, 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 the nymphomaniac. Yeah. And in this scene... There is a scarecrow, like from Wizard of Oz. Yes, the scarecrow with the, the the with the that was talking like her. Yes, and uh, Caligari <laughs> com- compels her to get on that D. So she undoes the scarecrow's zipper and starts and pulls out stuffing for what feels like five minutes. Yes, and finally gets to the point where she reaches in and burns her arm off <laughs> Some, something in the scarecrow's crime why why nobody knows nobody knows it, it's so unpredictable like what is going what could possibly happen next yeah and then you got the the, the pustules yeah i don't know what that was and like you got the pustules and then you got the weird doll face girl Oh, with the switchblade, like yes. that dream sequence that made no sense and, and was never called back to at all. Yeah, and then you got the woman with the stretched out boobs. Yeah, yeah, and, there were like weird, like like it's like the worst version. Uh, like the first thirty minutes of this movie are the worst version of like the uh, David S. Pumpkin sketch with the elevator <laughs> from the the haunted elevator. We're just stopping at floors and opening them up, and there's this woman with these giant boobs on like supporting pillars like in front of her yeah like and then it just cuts away from it you're just like nope well all right that that happened (laughs) i don't know what that was but okay like it it, it just keeps coming it just keeps happening i don't yeah i i'm I'm telling you it just a lot of the times we talk about our movies like are they are they able to be watched 
you know, like, are you able to sit at, I didn't want to not, I, I didn't, there wasn't a point in this film where I felt like they, I had something better to do. Yeah. I, I want, I wanted to finish this movie. I can't say that for all the movies we watched. <laughs> but I wanted to finish this movie. And the thing is, is that when it ends, it ends. It's like, it's like it just, ta-da, game over. And it's like when that ending hit, I was like, that's how it ends? <laughs> you know, I was like, this, this, is, this is it? I mean, because I it couldn't really figure out what was going on there. If this was like, all of the personalities that are now stuck in Caligari's head fighting with each other or what exactly what the hell was going on in that final scene. But it was just trippy's not even the word to no, use for it, this. I don't even think it was any of that. <clears throat> I, I honestly just think it was straight up like art house. You know, this is before the curtain. This is before they draw the curtain. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's what it was. It's like a performance piece that you would see yeah. at a coffee shop on a college campus in the. This 90s. is all. That's all. This whole thing was was a performance piece. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I, there was a loose plot, right? That's all it was, though, a loose plot. But it was a it was a performance art piece that became whatever <laughs> this is. Like it became a movie mm -hmm. from the guy who gave us Alf. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't understand. I mean, I'm not going to say I, I, I'm not going to understand. I don't understand why I understand why it was a performance art piece. I just don't understand like how it became a movie. Yeah, me neither. I don't understand how it became a movie. I also don't understand how it was a popular midnight movie for a while. Um, I could understand why it fell into obscurity. I mean, I don't, because I think that... Because maybe Jesus said so. Because <laughs> I think at one point in the 90s, the, with the way that taste changed in the 90s, midnight moviegoers were probably going, okay, no, this is bullshit. No, we want something else. And well, it doesn't have that redeeming value that even even um, a Rocky Horror has. Yeah. Because Rocky Horror is, is salient and cogent, and you follow the movie. Like there is a plot, you follow the movie, you follow the characters. Um, Same with Pink Flamingos. I mean, Pink Flamingos yeah. is yeah, it's gross out gag after gross out gag, but there is a plot going on with Pink Flamingos. Yeah, and when I think about all of the midnight movies I went and saw, which were like like you know Rocky Horror, or like Repo Men, yeah, you know, like um, like movies like that, and and then I think about this, the fact that it ever got to that stage. Is is a you know it, this is something that would have been played like down at the um, the Page Manor, which was our art house theater that we saw all of our movies on campus on. You know this would have gotten one Saturday, and then it would have been gone. Yeah, <laughs> you I, know. I guess the only thing I can think of is is that it, during that weird time period of the late eighties and early nineties, before you know the nineties really became the nineties. I, I guess it, it just appealed to the, the college scene to the point where I guess maybe they go, went there thinking that they were witnessing art, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I mean the, 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 the moviegoers were probably just as coked out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they are probably high as hell watching this thing. Uh, that's the only, way, only thing I can think of. But the, at the same time, I, this – this movie is one that I want to see with an audience 
because I want to see how the audience reacts to this thing. I want I want to see if one they endure the entire thing and just sit there the whole entire time. What the helling the entire film? I want to see if people do like what producer Chris Chris did. Finally had enough and got up and walked out. I, I want to see I, this. This is this movie for me. I think it's going to become like a litmus test. It's to, experiential, for yeah, sure. To see how people react to it, because it's such. I, I thought Forbidden Zone was an extreme movie when it comes to a test of patience. I, I think this one might out edge Forbidden Zone when it comes to that, because at least Forbidden Forbidden Zone, even though it's batshit bonkers and crazy. It does have a cohesive plot to it also. Where this one is just Yeah, this this is like the like like you said, this is the, 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 the coffee shop stuff. This is the thing that you would go down in the basement of the performance art building yeah. at, at your community theater at your at your community college theater uh, to to go witness and sit there with your shades and latte and say, Oh yeah, this is art. <laughs> while right, watching you go to support your friends yeah. in this. I've been to these shows to support my friends that were in these shows. <laughs> you know, I've been to Final Thesis stage performances and, frankly, Final Thesis movies that were like this. You know, like this is – that's what this is. Mm -hmm. And somehow it got, you know, it got shown at a theater somewhere and somebody saw it and they got to see, you got to see this insane movie and it just got bigger that way. You yeah. know, it, it, it reverse dolomited. Uh, <laughs> reverse dolomited. I like that. <laughs> it reverse dolomited its way into theaters. Um, no, but like I said, the redeeming quality for me is I didn't want to stop watching it. Yeah. I didn't want to, I wanted to know how this thing ended because there's something, there's something oddly, and I told you, I, I wrote you while we were doing it that one, one of the quotes that I sent you was, "Hey, call up Cronenberg, get him down here. We want to shit on his grave. <laughs> yes, we want to shit directly on him so we can go home." Because it did. It was like they took all these weird influences and threw them into this thing, like Cronenberg and and you know, Kubrick, Kubrickian. You know, to, uh, there, there was and, and obviously also, an influence of like 2001 type shit. Yeah. You know, Brazil was, you know, all of that stuff was kind of folded into this nightmare. While at the same time having that German expressionistic cinema of the of the silent era, there was there were definitely some pieces in lighting that were trying to emulate what happened in the original cabinet of Dr. Oh. Caligari. Makeup wise, yes. Yeah. You know, like like they, they were trying to they were trying to bring that in. Like it it it, it is the coked up what if there was a sequel to Dr. Cali the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. <laughs> yes. It it's somebody was like, Oh yeah, what if there was? Okay, here's what we would do. It's the granddaughter. Yeah, we're gonna make it modern. There's a granddaughter and she's got the brain. She's got his brain. Yeah, she's got his brain. And what we're what about what she what she oh yeah, you know, the only thing that makes sense is that she's uh like a psychotherapist. Yeah, yeah. She's got his brain. She's a psychotherapist. And she's got this sex addict in there. And, and it just snowballed from there. Literally yeah. snowballed. It literally snowballed in more ways than one. Um, yeah, this this thing. I, 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 I know where I place it on my list. Um, 
I, I, I have a pretty good idea for mine too. Yeah, I, I know where it's going to go on my list. It's not in my top five. It's also not in my bottom five. So it's definitely within that middle zone of what we've done. Um, but yeah, would you recommend this movie to people? My thing is, I would because of the fact I would, I 100% would because of the fact that it is that I didn't want to stop watching it. Mm -hmm. That's the reason I would like, if it was like, we've had movies that I've absolutely not wanted to recommend because it was a slog getting through those movies, Mm -hmm. like just fighting tooth and nail just to get to the credits. I didn't have that problem with this thing. Like this was so such a, such a WTF hour and a half of my life that I didn't even realize it would have passed until, you know, the credits had rolled and I said, Oh, Oh, that's where I am. Like, <laughs> okay. So yeah, I would, because it's, again, it's experiential, right? Yeah. Like, like you said, I think it's kind of a litmus test. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of like, where do you fall on the spectrum of this film? Like, I, I think, you, yeah, I think I would, if not, if, if for only, if the only reason that I would is to, See where you sit on our scale of movies. Then yes, watch it. Yeah, and I would too. I mean, like I I'm said, I'm not as mad at this movie as I am at Twice Dead. <laughs> oh, Twice Dead. <laughs> I'm not nearly as angry at this movie as I was at Twice Dead. I'm intrigued. Like I want to see interviews. I want to see interviews with the actors and the actresses and the director, you know, and the, and, and the, they never, I don't know if they ever talked to the writer, uh, uh, you know, the guy who Ben Stiller portrayed, um, damn it. I can't think of his name about it. I want to know more about the creation of this. I don't, I don't think they, he's, I don't ever recall, like I said, cause this is the first time I've ever heard of this. So I don't think so. And I've seen permanent midnight. I know permanent midnight dealt with, um, Alf deal with this but it didn't deal with this at all um so yeah i I would be very curious i i I do definitely want people to experience this film at least once right why do you hate people (laughs) um i i i i i I do want them to I, i just want to as an experiment as a social study um um, as, as a voluntarily, team. yes, voluntarily, just to see how they respond to it. In fact, I've got a friend right now named Omar who's on Facebook, and he's watching it right now. And he 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 just posted the scene where the tongue's coming out of the doorway. Yeah, yeah, and, that's a, that's a whole scene. Yeah, right there. And he said, "I don't know what I'm watching here. I don't know why I'm watching this." <laughs> But, but I can't point. stop watching yes. it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what the hell? Like, they hit a magic button that makes this movie so intriguing that you, no matter how screwed up and lost you are, you want to follow it through to the end. Mm-hmm. No. It, <laughs> unless you're producer Chris. Yes, unless you're producer then you, Chris. Then you go and stare at your Mandalorian poster you have on your wall as if it was the cast of Baywatch waiting <laughs> Just waiting. <laughs> Pretty, yes, much. Pretty much. Now, between this, because it's because it, this is actually a perfect bookend, and we'll probably talk about this a little bit more on the next episode. But this is you mentioned about how 
this is kind of a bookend for our first film, Liquid Sky. And it really is. It really is. Because yes. Liquid Sky is the same type of film. The uh, successful version of this film is Liquid Sky. Yeah. I was, is what I would say. What I want to ask, without giving away what, what your list of 20 is, which one do you think was more successful in achieving this level of I can't take my eyes away from it, Liquid Sky or Dr. Calavari? Well, keep keep in mind that Liquid Sky was the literal first thing you made me watch. Yeah. <laughs> so I wasn't I didn't have the calluses that came from the gay deceivers and <laughs> riding in the riding in the car with my sister. You know, I didn't have I didn't have that built up resilience yet. So it's it's not a fair it, it's not a fair question to ask, really. Mm-hmm. But I will say. This movie achieved that goal for me more than Liquid Sky did. Okay. Do I think that Liquid Sky was more palatable in a mainstream sense? Yes. Yeah, I think more people would like Liquid Sky than like this movie. Um, and frankly, it'll probably end up higher on my list than this movie. But, but I really did not want to stop watching this movie mm-hmm. and liquid sky was like, it was, it wasn't a slog, but it was like, okay, how far into this are we? Well, liquid <laughs> right, sky is two. Another... Yeah. Liquid sky was two hours also. So, I mean, that's, right. that's, right. that, that is a film that really does feel like you're watching something on heroin. It really does. Um, and speaking of which I normally, this would be the part of the show where I would announce the next title of the movie, but we've, we've reached a landmark here with 20 films so we're going to actually take a break from watching movies. And in our next episode, we're going to look back at the 20 films that we've watched so far. And we're each going to rank them from the, oh my God, when will this thing end <laughs> type of level, like level of when it comes to like how uncomfortable we felt, how bored we were, how much we just wanted to punch a baby and then take its candy after watching this film versus you have to punch it first <laughs> versus all the way down to kiss so basically yeah, right. <laughs> so masterpiece <laughs> so i mean i think it's pretty clear what our favorite for those who've been watching since day 1 i think you know what our number 1 film is going to be already uh, i want to go watch that i want to go watch kiss again right now like, it's so good it's amazing it's an amazing i want that to be the midnight movie kiss give up the rights so that we can start watching that in the theater oh that needs to be seen by an audience it really does that that that's an audience experience movie um, but we're going to, we're going to take a look. We've, com- we've compiled our lists of the films where we rank them. And then after we're done watching those movies, then we're going to put that 20 to rest. Th- think of this as the prequel trilogy of Star Wars. Oh God. <laughs> 20 movies? It's 40 hours of my life that you've made me into some sort of CIA super agent, some sleeper cell. <laughs> You say say Richard or you, you say uh, whatever dragon and I like flip out and start stabbing people in Walmart. <laughs> and then with movie twenty one, we're gonna start a new a, a new list. We probably won't go for twenty this time. We'll probably do like a block of ten or whatever. And the one thing that I am promising Andy is and we'll review reveal the title of the next episode. 
Right. For for the twenty first movie, because of everything we've went through, it is definitely going to be a movie that will be the palate cleanser. Um, so the reset button is kind of, that what you're saying? Kind of a reset button. So much so to the point where the movie that we're going to watch has won a Golden Globe and an Academy Award. All right. So if that I tells like, you I don't trust you. I do not trust you. <laughs> it's not Norbit. I'll tell you that. It's not, <laughs> it's it's not, not Norbit. Norbit. Well, uh, they all can't be winners. <laughs> but, yeah, we're, we're doing kind of a little reset um, after this. So, um, But, yeah, for our next episode, we will uh, be looking at these 20 movies. If you've been listening since day one or have kind of binged our episodes or anything. God bless you. <laughs> we need to send you money. What's your yes. Patreon? <laughs> What's your Zell? Let's go. Let's, let's do it. Yeah. Um, we want to hear from you. We want to hear um, what movies you that we've recommended that you saw that you absolutely loved what movies you hate us for recommending um <laughs> we want to hear so i mean you i've can, got my list of those for you roy <laughs> <laughs> um you can you can leave us messages on our facebook page or or message us through twitter um at these films exist um or whatever i mean we definitely want to hear what you think but we'll be back really soon uh, with the listing of our from worst to the best. Um, and if you haven't heard it yet, we've got a sideshow that's now going on between me and a man named Mike Gonzalez, um, who I used to do Sassy Cast with. It's called Homos on Horror. And <laughs> it's <laughs> it's us taking a look back at, because the 2010s was really a resurgence for horror films. And since we're reaching the end of the 2010s, we're looking back at the decade and looking at the films that we really enjoyed uh, per year. The, the first episode is currently available and we look at uh, 2010 and 2011. This week we're uh, recording the look at 2012 and 2013. And what we do is we pick five films from that year that we absolutely loved, um, a film that makes us go, why does this exist? And a film that we regret not seeing. Um, that we know we've heard so much about, but we've not seen it, or uh, but later on we finally saw it, or um, or a movie that we haven't seen yet, and we need to fix that. So that's on this feed as well. Uh, but yeah, next time you hear from us, you'll um, be hearing Andy probably just verbally beating the shit out of me for some of the shit that I've exposed him to. <laughs> Uh, and there is there a Kelly Clarkson song. <laughs> there, there is some shit that we watch. There really is, and um, it, the the next chapter is going to be interesting to see how you react to. So, because uh, I've I've already got a lot of movies and ideas planned and everything. So let's just let's just say that. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, gang. Thank you so much again, and we'll be back soon with our. 20 from worst to best. Talk to you later.